a significant impact on this nation of Scotland. This was a nation that was known as the nation of the book, the Bible. In Edinburgh, we see lots of empty church buildings with congregations that are wrinkling and shrinking. And uh, godless secularism really seems to be the, the superpower in the marketplace of ideas. And those who hold Christian convictions are marginalized, opposed, and uh, increasingly by some seen as harmful to society. Now, how will God's kingdom advance here in Edinburgh and throughout this nation of Scotland? And how, how will this come about when his people are often so weak and discouraged? How will God's people be sustained in, a, in an environment like this? Well, for an answer to that question, I want to turn to Zechariah chapter 4. So please open up the church Bibles to page 952. Page 952. Zechariah chapter 4. Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? He answered, Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. Then I asked the angel, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again I asked him, What are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, Do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I said. So he said, These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. This is God's word. Well, this is the fifth vision that Zechariah received out of eight. 
He went to bed one night, 2,530 years ago, on the 15th of February, and he saw 88 visions. And this is number five. And there are signs that by he got to the fifth, he was flagging, right? He was, he, you know, obviously it's, it's tough to be awake at night. And uh, he was flagging. And the angel who had been interpreting these visions sort of stirs him. It seems like he's begun to slump a bit. And so he stirs him. And stirs him to see a new vision. And they ask him, what does he see? And he says, well, he sees a golden lampstand. Now, it's hard from uh, the, the words to kind of work out exactly the design of this lampstand. Um, if you can move the PowerPoint on. It doesn't appear to be the classic uh, menorah lampstand that was described in the book of Exodus as part of the furniture of the, of the tabernacle. And there's a replica of it, what it could have looked like there on the, um, your left. Um, it doesn't seem to be the one that was taken away when the temple was destroyed in AD 70. We, we've come up with this design from a, an archway in Rome which was celebrating the destruction of Jerusalem where the, the lamp, where the menorah lamp was taken away. And what was fascinating for me this week was to realize that the, the emblem of modern day Israel is the menorah lampstand with two olive branches either side of it, which I think flows straight out of Zechariah chapter 4. But that's not really the lampstand that's described in this chapter. Uh, it, it says it's, it had a bowl that held the oil and uh, that fueled the lamp and that there were seven lamps around it. And it probably looked something a bit more like this. A sort of bowl with uh, seven lamps on the outside and each, each of the lamps had seven kind of points to it. It was like a super menorah lampstand. It would have been ablaze with fire, if you can imagine that lit, the brightness of it. But it seems that Zechariah's eyes were actually drawn to the two olive trees either side of the lampstand. What are these, my Lord? He asked the angel. And, and the question seems surprising to the angel. Do you not know what these are? It's obvious. And, and uh, Zechariah says no. And, and um, it's almost as if the angel doesn't want to explain because instead we get in verses 6 to 10 two messages that Zechariah was to give specifically to Zerubbabel. Now this chap was the governor of the territory at that time. The territory which had the sort of destroyed uh, Jerusalem and the destroyed temple area. He was sort of the political governor of the time. And so after hearing these messages that uh, he's supposed to pass on to Zerubbabel, Zechariah presses on with a question, verse 11. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left? And he still doesn't seem to get a reply, so he presses on, verse 12. Again, again I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? seems that they're dripping into the center of this lampstand. Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord. Well, it's a big tease, isn't it? So the big punch is verse 14. What, what are they? These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. These two olive trees represent the, uh, the two 
anointed ones who serve the Lord. Literally, the, the phrase is the sons of new oil. These two olive trees are the sons of new oil. So who are these two men? Well, I want to suggest to you that the immediate context makes this clear. Uh, th- as I said, there are eight visions. And the middle two visions focus on two individuals. Uh, in chapter 3, we, we looked at it last week. Joshua, the high priest. And in chapter 4 here, the political leader, uh, Zerubbabel. So it seems to me that these two olive trees are one that represents the sort of the spiritual leader at that time, Joshua the high priest, and the other represents Zerubbabel, the political leader of that time. In the Old Testament, there were two very special uh, roles uh, where people were marked out for special service with a ceremony where oil was put on their head. It was the high priests and it was the kings. And although technically... Uh, Zerubbabel was not the king at the time. He was descended from King David. Uh, You can discover that from uh, Matthew's opening account where he gives a genealogy uh, which traces uh, from David through Zerubbabel onto Jesus. These are the two sons of new oil whose ministry was by the appointment of God himself. God wanted Zechariah to proclaim to the people that these two men were were the the ones appointed by God. And while the high priest would not have been surprised at this news, this vision was particularly directed to Zerubbabel. Although he was the... Come back a bit on that. (laughs) That'd be great. Um, While while the the, the, the Medo-Persian Empire was um, considered him just to be a governor, God wants him to see that actually he was... His special appointment for the people at that time. God wanted him to know that he was there as as God's appointment to rule over the people. He wanted the people to understand that. And and he wanted Zerubbabel to see the significance of his role. And I think this vision would have functioned to help Zerubbabel as he looked at uh, all his to-do lists. What's my top priority? Well, God says, here's your top priority, Zerubbabel. Build the temple. Here's your number one thing. Amongst all the things you're going to do as a political governor of this region, number one priority, build the new temple. So what does the lampstand signify? With all the the background of the the tabernacle and temple golden lampstands, it seems to me that it represents the worshipping community of returned exiles who are involved in this task of rebuilding this destroyed temple, uh, sort of around 500 years before Jesus. This lampstand is the believing community. It's the Old Testament church that is alight with the presence of the all-seeing, all-knowing God who dwells among them. They're getting in this picture form, an amazing picture of, of what they really are to the world. As they pursue this goal of of rebuilding the temple and and living in obedience to God's word, they would once more be a light to the Gentile nations. This is what this vision is representing. This blazing lampstand giving out light to uh, the darkened nations around them. They would be displaying the glory of God by their life and their worship and their service. And, And that's what Zerubbabel needed to see, was that first of all, he was appointed by God. That'd be great. 
it puts them both up, so you're going to get them both at once, that he was appointed by God to serve and sustain God's people to be this light of the world. See, this ministry of the high priest, of, of him being kind of uh, the uh, appointed king over the people, that they were the agents that God was going to use to sustain his people in the world. And from their anointing, these people were maintained to be a blazing light to the nations. And Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel it's hard to say fast, isn't it? Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel needed to understand that not only was he appointed by God, but he was also going to be empowered by God. That's what verse, four, uh, verse 6 of chapter 4 is about. It's our motto verse this year. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. The task that the Lord had given him to do, had appointed him to do, this kingdom-building work of, uh, of rebuilding a temple and of leading God's people was not going to be achieved by conventional worldly wisdom or, or techniques. They were weak and insignificant, but that's not a problem to God. That's what he wants them to know. Not by human might, not by human power is this work going to be done. It's only going to be done by God's enabling spirit. They, they were important agents, but the decisive factor was this, the empowering presence of God by his spirit. This work of God's kingdom can only be achieved by God's spirit. And it was true then, and it's just as true today. And there are many challenges facing Zerubbabel in their day. And they just seemed like immovable mountains before him. There was the scale of the work. I mean, he was surrounded by rubble of the broken down walls of the, of the broken temple. They had the challenge of, of being surrounded by neighbors who had no desire to see God's people reestablished in the land. Uh, their neighbors did not want this old-time religion to come back. They didn't want the values of this believing people to be exerted in the land. They had no desire in that. They opposed them every step of the way. There was the economic challenges. I mean, it, it, there was an economic meltdown at the time. They didn't have, uh, it was tough to get by, tough to make money, not many resources. That was a huge challenge before them. But the toughest challenge of all, perhaps, is there in verse 10. And it was the pessimism of God's people. The people who had returned were despising their time as a day of small things. They came back from exile with the, the great promises of Isaiah and Jeremiah of a glorious future. And the truth was, when they came back and got into the work, it was just slog and hard work, and hardly anything seemed to be achieved. In fact, after 18 years, they gave up on building altogether. They were so discouraged. The great promises of God and the reality of their experience, there was such a dissonance that they were just depressed, discouraged, and pessimistic. This was a day of small things. Well, what can be achieved? Really, stop your big ideas. Let's build a nice house for ourselves. And the key to overcoming all these challenges 
was the empowering presence of God's Spirit. Verse 7, What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you'll become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone, the final stone for the temple with, with, with the shouts, God bless it, God bless it. Look at verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. You see, by the power of God's Spirit, the mountains of opposition, of, of difficulty, are going to be flattened to level ground. He, he laid the foundation stone, and he's going to bring out that final capstone. He's going, to, he's going to finish the job. The temple is going to be built in Zerubbabel's time. A good name to slow you down. And, and you know what? The seemingly insignificant work of making sure a wall is built straight and upright, a Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel holding up the plumb line, when the people see what's really going on, the spiritual significance of it, it should cause them to rejoice. To rejoice. Because God's kingdom was advancing in the world. And God would bring it to completion. They could be certain of it. That's what this vision is saying. Now, of course, all of this has great relevance to us today. Even though we live in a different place in salvation history, these events uh, were pointing forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, the anointed one by God. Now, Zechariah knew that. Do you remember from last week? Turn over to chapter 3 and verse 8. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. Joshua the high priest, Zerubbabel, were symbols. They were signs pointing forward to the coming of the Messiah, of Jesus the Christ. I mean, just read on in the Gospels. I mean, Matthew uh, points out the linkage to Zerubbabel. Uh, Go through Luke's Gospel, you'll see that Jesus was the one anointed by God's Spirit. There, as he was baptized by John the Baptist, what happened? The heavens opened. The Spirit descended on him bodily in a, in a, in a, in a dove. And, and, the, and God's benediction uh, upon Jesus. This is, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus described as one who was full of the Holy Spirit. And he stood up. Uh, one Sunday, one Saturday in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he read the scriptures from Isaiah chapter 61. He read this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Here is the anointed one. Here is the spirit-filled man, the Messiah King, who defeats sin, Satan, and death in his death upon the cross. And on the day of Pentecost, it was read to us earlier in the service today, uh, Peter explains to the crowd that have turned up because 
that that was the day the Spirit of God was poured out upon the New Testament church. And there was such, a, such an incredible event. And uh, as the disciples went out speaking in different languages, crowds gathered around them. And Peter stood up and, and, and proclaimed to them what was going on. And did you hear the significance in, in chapter 2, verse uh, 32? He said this. Let me read it to you again. God has raised Jesus to life. God has raised Jesus to life. And we're all witnesses of the fact. Exalted. To the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus, the anointed one, by virtue of his own death, brings about this new covenant. And as he ascends to God's right hand, he receives from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And he pours out the Spirit upon his church. And they are set ablaze, aren't they? In Acts 2. And speak with all boldness of what Jesus had done. This vision of Zechariah in chapter 4, of this blazing lampstand full of light, is also a picture of the New Testament church blazing its light. To the world. It is Jesus Christ who is the one who sustains God's people. He is both the, the king and the high priest. And from his anointing, from his enabling power, we, the New Testament church, are kept ablaze to shine the light of the gospel to this world. That's this going on in this picture. Did you see it in Revelation at the beginning of the service? Uh, in a very similar event, uh, John, the, the disciple, is at Patmos. It's the Lord's Day. He's in the Spirit. I love that phrase, don't you? It was the Lord's Day. He was in the Spirit. Oh, Lord, may we be in the Spirit today. And he sees a vision, a bit like Zechariah's. But not just one golden lampstand, seven golden lampstands that represent the, the New Testament churches that John is writing to. And there is Jesus, the risen glorious Christ standing and moving among the churches. This is what we've got going on here. Zechariah 4 is pointing forward to all of that. If you've come in today and this is your first time in this church, uh, if you're not a Christian here today, you're so welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I want you to know that this church exists today because we are sustained by the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here today because uh, we're not talking about a historical person sort of 2,000 years ago who was dead and said lots of great things that we're still talking about. No, he's living. He's alive. And the fact that this is happening today is a testimony to this reality, the living Lord Jesus Christ, who is sustaining the life of this very church. He's the head of this body. He's the Lord's we read in Ephesians. He's the king who rules over us by his word. He's the high priest who even now intercedes at God's right hand by his wounded hands and side. And, and, and on the basis of his ongoing intercession, we exist today. We exist today as a, an expression of the living Lord Jesus Christ because his spirit has made people brand new on the inside. This place is full of people who've been changed from the inside out by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that can explain this church. Do you know that? 
So you look around, it looks so ordinary. These people look so ordinary. Look around. They're looking at you, they're thinking, yeah, pretty ordinary, right? But it is only explainable because Christ is risen. He is sustaining the life of this local church by his spirit. Do you know what? It's through faith in in this Lord Jesus that as we repent of our sins, repent of our selfishly living for ourselves, as we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that's what Peter says on Acts 2, that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise for all whom the Lord our God will call to himself, Peter says on that day in Pentecost. The life of Charlotte Chapel as God's people being a witness to the world is only explainable through the empowering work of God's Holy Spirit. It's not just the Pentecostals who've got the Spirit. Do you know that? Praise God, he's here too. He just finds it harder to move us than the Pentecostals. You know when, you know when, when, you know when Baptists are really full of the Spirit, you know what happens? They do this occasionally in a hymn. They go, if, if it's got a beat, they, that, that, something's really happening then with Baptists. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's fascinating when you think about the disciples. They were appointed by Jesus. They were taught by the resurrected Jesus. You'd think that would be enough, wouldn't you? No, not enough. Not good to go yet. Jesus said to them that they still had to wait. Chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Appointed by Christ, taught by Christ, they still needed the empowering presence of the Spirit of God to come upon them to become witnesses to Jerusalem and to the world. And that's what happened on Pentecost, wasn't it? The Spirit came, they boldly spoke, people heard the gospel, people believed. 3,000 were baptized in one day. We're just wondering right now about Easter Sunday. There could be, I don't know, how many? 15 baptisms? We're thinking, how do we do that? How do you do 3,000 baptisms? I mean, really, 15 is not a problem. So we'll work it out. We'll work out a way of doing this. Um, 3,000 in one day. Only when there is genuine spiritual life of spirit-filled Christians will obstacles be overcome Will God's kingdom work of saving, baptizing, and equipping people to, uh, to belong to the body of Christ, will, will that be achieved only by the empowering work of the Holy Spirit? And if you remember in the book of Acts, it wasn't just Pentecost, was it, where they received empowering of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were arrested for preaching that Jesus was the Christ, And they were commanded not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. And they were threatened with with all sorts of punishments if they kept talking about the gospel. They gathered with the church to pray. And they asked God, the sovereign Lord of all the earth, to use language of Zechariah 4, to enable them to continue speaking the gospel of Christ with great boldness. 
They gathered to pray. They, they sought the sovereign Lord of all the earth. Give us boldness to keep speaking this gospel. And what was the result? Well, it says this in Acts 4.31. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Pentecost was not just, it was a unique moment. But there were other times where they freshly sought boldness. The answer was given by a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, and they spoke with all boldness, and the gospel continued to spread and have an impact on the world. Now that is New Testament Christianity, is it not? Is this not what we need at this time? A weak, beleaguered church in a time of hostility, time of secularism just seeming an overwhelming influence on people's lives and souls are we seeking such boldness and empowering from God are you are you seeking the empowering presence of God's spirit to give you boldness at such a time as this are we as a church I want you to know I'm so excited about so many things that are going on at Charlotte Chapel these days. I, I, I think there are so many evidences of God's grace. I, I'm excited uh, to see uh, the, the, the numbers of people coming to the new members class. I'm excited to see people taking time to do the Christian beliefs course, to come out to the midweek training. I'm excited to see the downstairs full at our church at prayer where we're praying together. And yet I want to say sometimes our corporate prayer times are still so stilted. And we lack urgency. And we lack a sense of desperation. And it seems at times we lack a hunger for more of God. I I fear that we are still far too self-conscious, too full of the fear of each other. And the truth is, if we will not speak of Jesus Christ and his gospel to one another, we're certainly not going to do it to, to the world out there. And people say to me, well, Paul, Scottish Reserve. Have you not heard about Scottish Reserve? And I want to say, well, if, if Scotland beat England this afternoon, you just watch Scottish Reserve. <laughs> right? See a, a, a victory like that on the rugby pitch. See what it does to Scottish people. My friends, we have something so much more glorious, so much more incredible to talk about. We need... God's Holy Spirit (laughs) to to see how precious this gospel is to speak it the victory of Christ over sin, over Satan over death itself my friends that is the only hope in the face of a tsunami, an earthquake in a few hours thousands can be swept into eternity just like that And the only hope is the gospel. The only hope is Christ. The truth is is that that we are no more deserving that that this ground should be solid under our feet. We, we, We deserve all of us to be swept away in God's judgment. We need mercy. We have a great gospel to proclaim. I tell you what, I need a fresh work of the Spirit in my heart, in my life. What about you? Not by might, nor by power. It's not about having great web 
advertising schemes, clever strategies, great communication styles or something. It's not about stuff like that. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This church nearly closed um, in 1902. The, the, the numbers were so small, they had an offer to sell the building that was here, and instead they called Joseph Camp. And he went on holiday. Praise God for holidays. And he went on holiday to the south coast. He heard about the revival that was taking place in Wales in 1904. He went and observed the Welsh revival. He came back up with a Welshman. Praise God for the history of Welshmen in this church. <laughs> and and they shared what they saw, what was happening. Do you know, they reckon 100,000 people came to Christ in Wales in the 1904-1905 Welsh Revival. And they shared here, and they began to pray here. And in 1905-1906, they saw 1,000 people become Christians. Revival broke out on Rose Street. Not by might, not by power, by my spirit says the Lord Almighty. Are we asking him? Are we asking him? Lord, give us all boldness to speak your gospel in this city. What will such uh, spirit-empowered, spirit-filled people look like? You know, some mistake uh, only seeing the work of the spirit in the strange and the bizarre, miraculous things and... Uh, Strange stories about legs getting lengthened and all sorts of things. What really does a spirit-empowered, spirit-filled people look like? It can look very ordinary and mundane. It can look like Zerubbabel holding up a plumb line, making sure a wall is straight. People who live their lives to see God's kingdom grow. People who live with gospel intentionality. People are willing to serve with the gifts God has given them to see people discipled and churches planted for God's glory. People who will not despise the apparently small things of, of being involved with the crash, teaching Sunday school, being willing to serve with the gifts of IT or hospitality, being willing to welcome new people, to read the Bible one-to-one -one with people, to, to share the gospel with people, to live our lives in the workplace in such a way that glorifies God, to invite people to come and hear that gospel explained, people who live their lives now in the light of the coming kingdom. It can look very ordinary, very mundane. As I say, you came in this morning, you thought this was very ordinary today, didn't you? You looked around, saw ordinary people. Do you know what this vision says? No, this is extraordinary. This can only be explained by the Spirit of God. This can only be explained by a risen Christ. This is what he's doing in the world. Isn't that exciting? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this image, this vision of a golden lampstand just on fire. And we thank you that Charlotte Chapel has been a light in this city. Thank you for sustaining it over 200 years and more now. 
Father, awaken in us a deeper hunger for you. Pour out your spirit afresh on us. We ask that we may speak your word with all boldness in this city. Oh Lord, if it be pleasing to you, would the light of this church blaze all the brighter in these coming weeks and months. We thank you for your presence here amongst us. We want to worship you and honor you and thank you and live for you in this coming week. We ask all this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.